Pacifica Radio, this is Voices of the Middle East and North Africa. I am Malihera Zazan. Since the beginning of Ramadan in mid-April, tensions have been rising in the old city of Jerusalem. Protesters have been contesting an Israeli court decision to evict four Palestinian families from their homes in the occupied neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah to make room for Israeli settlers. Four more families will be facing eviction in August. The families in question have lived in their homes since 1956, when East Jerusalem and the West Bank were still under Jordanian control. The families, which were made refugees as a result of Israel's establishment in 1948, were given the land by the Jordanian authorities and were able to build their homes there. With assistance, from the United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees. Since the 70s, Israeli right-wing settler organizations have been pushing to evict these families under the pretext that the land had been purchased by Jews before the establishment of Israel. According to a 2020 survey by the United Nations, at least 218 Palestinian households in East Jerusalem including the families in Sheikh Jarrah, have eviction cases filed against them. If these evictions are implemented, 970 people, including 424 children, will be displaced, a continuation of Israel's policy of ethnic cleansing. The protests and sit-ins have been faced with settler violence backed by the Israeli police, which used rubber-coated bullets tear gas canisters, and even high-pressure skunk water to disperse protesters. And in recent days, Israel has escalated its repression in East Jerusalem by raiding the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and even shelling Palestinian worshippers. Further south, Israel has also launched its new war on Gaza, hitting civilian buildings and killing over 40 people, including 14 children. To better understand the events that are unfolding in East Jerusalem, Vomina's Mira Nabulsi spoke with Nidal Rafe, a Palestinian journalist and TV producer based in Jerusalem. Nidal is a board member in several Palestinian civil society organizations, including Adala, the legal center for Arab minority rights in Israel, Al Sewar, a feminist organization in Haifa, and the Arab Journalist Club, Sakakini Cultural Center in Ramallah. Along with Marwa Jbara Tibi, she is the co-director of the documentary Abbas 36. Nidal Rafa, thanks for being with us today. Nidal, you're in Haifa. What's the latest from the ground where you are? Uh, I just came from uh, Jerusalem today. Where I live, it's in Sheikh Jarrah. And the old houses and all the story of what we hear in the news regarding to the story of Sheikh Jarrah is uh, it's just a couple of minutes away from my house. It's literally my neighborhood where I've been, I'm living over uh, 15 years now in Jerusalem. It's bad because of uh, this, you see the aggression, you see the Israeli police and they, you see uh, on the ground what's happening on daily basis, all the um, escalation that we witnessed in the last weeks. I think, as a result of this, I'm not really optimistic that there's going to be any uh, solution in the next days. On the contrary, I think it's going to be only escalating more and more. 
this is what we are witnessing, I can say since the beginning of the month, but mainly in the last week. We're recording this episode one day after the so-called Jerusalem Day, uh, in which Israelis celebrate what they consider the unification of Jerusalem and what the United Nations and Palestinians consider the occupation of East Jerusalem in 1967. This Monday, May 10th, was very tough on people of Jerusalem. Can you talk to us or walk us through some of the events that unraveled yesterday and how that ties to the violence that we've seen unravel over the past few weeks? Mira, this is definitely, it's uh, the day, according to the Jewish calendar, is the occupation of Jerusalem. It's not only according to uh, we as Palestinians, but even the international uh, law, uh, the East Jerusalem is an occupied territory. And I remember in the last years when you see literally Israeli flags, uh, Israeli fanatics of right-wing settlers and others that they are uh, just celebrating walking in the streets with the Israeli flags, dancing, that they want to show uh, their presence in East Jerusalem at Damascus Gate and on Jaffa Gate, New Gate, Herod's Gate, in the old city of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they're coming from different places and cities and towns. They want to show that they are the ones who are controlling the city. Now we know that uh, because of the Israeli occupation, they are controlling they are the one you see israeli police wherever you go when you when you walk in jerusalem a border police occupation you see that by numbers this is if you're walking if you're a tourist if somebody is coming to jerusalem and seeing not only on that day but in general you see israeli even at damascus gate today the change of the place itself you're talking about a very historical damascus gate and today the israelis built in the last couple of years a point where they are standing outside the Damascus Gate. So if you see the pictures of today and three years ago, it's totally different in the sense of you see the way they uh, occupied even the old uh, city with more police stations, with uh, more presence. Israel wants to say and to show to the world that they are the ones who are in control of East Jerusalem. So it's for them, it's important that you can see them, that you don't miss seeing them while you're walking in the old city of Jerusalem. It's important in their presence everywhere. And for the Palestinians, you can just see this. You can see this, you see, with the numbers of the police, with people that they are in the old city, outside each gate. The whole Palestinian presence compared to the Israeli presence by force, you can immediately feel it, see it when you go in the old city. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's hone in into Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood. Uh, at the heart of the tension that we've seen over the past few weeks is this East Jerusalem neighborhood. Talk to us about what's going on in the neighborhood. So related to the houses where the whole issue started, you're talking about 28 houses in total. Uh, these Palestinians are uh, refugees. They came from different cities and towns. Uh, some of them are from Haifa. Others are uh, from West Jerusalem. Now, uh, so they became refugees. The land in Sheikh Jarrah, it belongs to Jordan. And they, uh, in 1956, uh, Jordan gave the land. The owner built the houses. And the Palestinians, uh, in return for the refugee card that they used to have, they gave back the refugee card. So they were able to live in these houses. Uh, so they gave the, up their refugee status in return of living in these homes in Jerusalem. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So since then, Jordan was supposed to register the houses after three years. So we're talking about in 1959, they will register 
and this is where the whole ownership uh, and property it will belong to the uh, families this didn't happen unfortunately the war of 1967 erupted and that of course as a result of this israel occupied east jerusalem and since then the whole uh, issue started uh, the people faced uh, the first law case in 1972 where jewish groups uh, they claim uh, the ownership of the land that was the first uh, law case in 1972 palestinian families they had an israeli advocate then to see a cohen who was defending them so we're talking now almost more than 49 years that these people are in the israeli courts all what they want is to be able and to live in their houses to be able to live like you know stable like anybody else in the world uh, this didn't happen in 2008 was the first case of eviction the first one was for in kamil al-qurd and the mm-hmm. uh, palestinian families of uh, gawi and hanun in 2009 so uh, we were talking about uh, four families in total out of the 28 families the houses uh, where uh, people are facing the whole issue of uh, sheikh jarrah it was now another four families the family of al-qurd iskafi al-qasim and jauni so they appealed again to the court and there was another four uh, three families that there was an eviction order in august 2021 now mira if we're talking about a house we're talking about you know stability about the life about the if, mm-hmm. when i was talking to people and i was interviewing them in the last uh, weeks especially because there was uh, the hearing and the court hearing at the beginning of uh, may the 2nd of may uh, then they said that there was another hearing on the 6th of may which was supposed to be then uh, on the 11th of may uh, on the 10th of may it was last monday but uh, this is when again there was the decision of uh, that they're going to be postponing it for for a month when they will reschedule and there will be another hearing at the court but idea it's people where they live in their house they don't know any other house but that house and people said this is a jordanian land so we know that this is a jordan a jordanian land jordanian property and it's important for us that jordan is to stood up now and to say that this property and this land belongs to these people and about all what happened so they came and let's face it it's not really a question of uh, property and land ownership and deeds these palestinians when we talk to them they will say very clear that uh, these uh, jewish groups are talking about land ownership we are refugees and we have our property in palestine 70 Three years ago, we still have all the papers and all the deeds. So, if it's a question of legal terms and this, so here we are. Here we go. Why they don't really take this in consideration and bring us back to our houses and our properties? Mm-hmm. If that was a legal issue, people are saying clearly that it has nothing to do with the legal terms, but it's a political issue. where you see that it's clear when you know there, there are israeli groups that they're talking about judaization of jerusalem less palestinians and more is, uh, israeli jews at the beginning it was the year of 2020 now it's the the plan for the year 2050 and this is where they say the location of sheikh jarrah 
is very important. It's connecting south with north, east with west. It's very close to the university. So people understand the consequences of such an act and they understand what will happen in the near future regarding that neighborhood and the territorial continuity from one area to another area. And this is what uh, the people now they're facing and they, they're active with everything to do with the social media where they believe that mm-hmm. the most important thing that the people will know that the people will do something that the people will care. P- families that they're living in Sheikh Jarrah, they came with the whole hashtag on social media of save Sheikh Jarrah. Muna Al-Kord, the daughter of Nabil Al-Kord, who are, it's a family originally from uh, Haifa, that they, they're living in the uh, neighborhood since 1956. And they activated the whole hashtag and, you know, the people and many among the youth, uh, Mira, the way they were uh, very much uh, engaged in the whole issue of Sheikh Jarrah. This is where many people worldwide heard about the story and the story of Sheikh Jarrah became really, it catched up uh, quickly where uh, more and more and more people mm-hmm. got to know about what's happening today. Mm-hmm. And this is where maybe you're even talking to me about that topic as a result of all uh, the activities related to what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah because it's also ongoing. There is no solution yet. Mm-hmm. We are still waiting for the court case, which is supposed to happen next month. We don't know when, but for people who are living there, it's their lives. It's their daily life. It's instability. It's being, it's uncertainty. If somebody is for over 49 years, just waiting to see, can he stay at home? You know, people were telling me the kids are deteriorating at school. They don't know what's going to happen with them if they're going Mm. back home, if they will find a house or not, what will happen? The whole trauma, why trauma? Because you're talking about their witness, what happened with the families of Hanun and Ghawi and the court in 2008 and 2009. Literally, people were thrown to the street. They lived under the fig tree and the olive tree for five months. So this is a trauma It's that they didn't even have time to deal with it. And now another trauma is that they're gonna be coming and facing. It's not easy where, when it's, a, it's, it's their existence and it's a, and what we are witnessing and what we see. So that's why people are trying their best. Nidal, you mentioned the lawsuit going on, and and you mentioned that it was uh, now postponed for another month. Just to make it clear for our listeners, during the time this lawsuit has been going on, the attacks on the families by settlers supported by the army have not stopped. Have you witnessed that in the past few days and nights? And, And can you describe that a little bit, kind of how they come in and the role of the army or the police, Israeli police in, in supporting those type of attacks on the families that are still living in these homes? So these uh, settlers, uh, first of all, you're talking about armed settlers. So they have uh, weapons and they have always uh, the Israeli police, border police, wherever they're leaving in and out uh, to escorting them. Every time I remember, where, especially at the beginning, there will be fights uh, between both uh, the Palestinian families and the uh, Jewish family. I give you an example of Nabil Al-Kurd family, Nabil. So uh, he has four kids and uh, Nabil, uh, when wanted, it, there was, uh, you know, the, the natural growth of his family. It became bigger and he wanted uh, to add some rooms. So he had an extension of the house. Uh, the problem of East Jerusalem, Mira, is people uh, will ask for 
what we call it, uh, you know, order to license to build a house. Sometimes it, the procedure will take six or seven or eight years. You will pay a lot of money. And by the end of that procedure, there will be a answer from the municipality of Jerusalem that not allowing to add rooms to your house. Many people, they will build an extra room or two rooms and they will end up paying fines. But then because there were no any other alternatives, that's what happened with Nabil. Mm-hmm. So, so, in the so end, people the, end up building without getting that permit. Without getting that permit. Mm-hmm. But then they will get a demolition order and they will pay a fine every month. So he needed to pay a fine of 97,000 shekels for that as a fine. And you're talking, of course, about a big number where these are not uh, rich families. These are families that they can't afford it. All what they wanted is to be able to have a decent life and to live. And, you mm-hmm. know, when the, the family is getting bigger, so the father will add a two room in, in the house. But what happened with him? So the court ruling was that uh, it was the judge literally closed that extension of the house and not allowing Nabil to sleep in theirs, not even one night. And there was, of course, the court against uh, Nabil, which uh, continued in the court uh, in 2009. He uh, was surprised that a settler, it was at the beginning Jewish group, settler organization, moved and lived in his house. Now he said, wait a minute, he wanted to demolish the extra two rooms, they didn't allow him. And there was at the beginning couple of living in the house and then they moved to where today a settler is living. By the way, the settler is coming from New York. His name is Yaakov. There was a very famous video mm-hmm. of Yaakov talking to Muna. I don't know if you watched that one saying, if it's not me, it's gonna be somebody else mm-hmm. at this house. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no one, no one uh, is allowed to steal it, Yammi. Yaakov, you know this is not your house. Yes, but if I go, you don't go back. So what's the problem? Why are you yelling at me? I didn't do this. I didn't do this. But you, it's you, easy to yell at me, but I didn't do this. Yeah, you are helping. stealing my house. Every time he will be leaving, getting in and out, there will be the Israeli police and the Israeli border police holding and they're giving only the security for these settlers that in many cases paid to stay in these houses. And the people will tell you that to make their life miserable, difficult, tough. I remember when, when someone asked Nabil about his neighbor, he said, he's not my neighbor, he's a thief because this is my house. He broke into my house and he's living in my house. Nidal, to just explain a little bit to listeners. So when you're talking about, for example, this settler, Yaakov, what they usually bring in during this time that there is still court proceedings happening, they don't bring in families. They bring in individuals or, from what I understand, typically young men. Is that usually the process? The tenants tend to go and come and they change. Why do you think that is? You're talking about people that ideologically they have to believe uh, in the whole ideology 
of that this is ours, this is Jewish land, this is Jewish houses, we have to be here. So to put this with ideology, then it's really something that you will get a result of somebody that he doesn't see himself as a thief, but he will see that he wants to be here and to live here and to continue living here. In many cases, these families, it can be just people, the couple that they just married, they will come for one year, two years, but then uh, they will leave and they will bring another family. This is how usually it is. Mira, if you will think of these circumstances, that you're going to be having these fights on daily basis because Palestinians will never agree that uh, these settlers are uh, living in the, the in Sheikh Jarrah area for no reason, but because of that, they will claim uh, that this is all ours, God gave it to us, this is from God to us. And, you know, this is uh, when we put religion with uh, ideology, with all these uh, fanatics people, and then we see the results and what we are witnessing. Because really, if you are not a big believer in that, then, uh, of course, you're not going to be coming uh, to Sheikh Jarrah and to be able to stay there and to live there and to keep going, living in uh, these conditions. You have to be really hardcore thinking that this is really your right. And giving the example of Nabil al-Kurd, they stole the gate of the house and they put it in the house of the Gawi where settlers took over. And the whole scene, it's really of the young group of uh, settlers that they're coming, the way they will be saying swear words to, to people, the way they were behaving, uh, they, just literally to make life difficult and unbearable and miserable. Because mm-hmm. they think that they're right and you're wrong and that they, they, they have the right to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and nobody's going to stop them. And if somebody will stop them, they will attack by saying that, that you are not allowed, you're supposed to be here, that this is Jewish land, that this is all ours. Who wants to live in, in such a circumstances unless he's really brainwashed to be able to do with these things, with this kind of life? Mm-hmm. You mentioned the courts, but I know Palestinians are generally very skeptical of the Israeli legal system, yet sometimes people still go through these courts in a desperate attempt to safeguard their properties in Jerusalem. What legal tools do Palestinians actually have under Israeli law to protect their properties, especially as they're not citizens? Of course, they have to have an Israeli lawyers to defend them. But Palestinians see in many cases that this is a tailor-made clause that these <laughs> courts are not really to defend them, but they have to go through this Israeli system because this is the only way. We have a proverb in Arabic, maybe it can really sum it all. It says, uh, if the judge is uh, our rival, so who we should complain to? Complain to. If I want to translate it, yeah. This is, uh, if people have to go to, uh, through the Israeli courts, but they really don't expect much from these Israeli courts. Now, uh, just for you to understand that there is a three, if we're talking about the legal system, there is the first court, the second, but then the high Supreme Court. And now uh, the case of Sheikh Jarrah people is going to be at uh, a high Supreme Court and if there's going to be a verdict from the high Supreme Court, then this is like a final where you can't even uh, have an appeal against mm-hmm. the people that try their best, but they're not really optimistic that they can seek justice related to their story. And they're saying it's now more over uh, 49 years. It's going on and on and on. I remember I saw one of the people who are living in the neighborhood. He's an actor, Ya'oub Abu Arafi. He was just telling me when I saw him a couple of days ago. He said, Nidal, I was 10 years old when all this started. Now I'm almost 60 
and there is no solution yet. Mm-hmm. Imagine all my life, all my childhood, all my youth, everything in my life, it has to go through waiting for a solution, waiting for justice, waiting that there's going to be real stability. Because, you know, when we're talking about a house, the house symbolized for us as Palestinians, uh, as Arabs, it's a stability. It's uh, where you want to go back home and to rest, forget about all the stuff that you see on daily basis. You just want to forget about all problems and all the, the things that you witness and you see. And if you don't have this feeling when you go back home that you really can relax and you're always worried and worried and worried and you don't know what's going to happen and again and again and again. There are people so traumatized, Mira, kids, you talk to them and they say every time we hear unexpected noise, we think that they're going to come to take our house. Literally, you can feel how how big trauma they they have. Mm. This is what I call it, the generation of trauma. They don't even have time to deal with this trauma. And it's going on and on and on and on. People imagine if somebody witnessed a being thrown in the street in the middle of the night with soldiers and Israeli police without, you know, you're in your pyjama in the middle of the night. You're scared and you're horrified. You're looking only where to stay. You're looking at these people seeing you and in such a barbarian way to take you from your bed out and throw you to the street. This is something that you will never forget. This is a horrible experience that you will carry all your life. You don't have time fixing your trauma. This is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. We really, we ha- they don't have time for fixing their trauma. Clearly, the objective is to just make life unbearable for people, for them to just move on their, uh, move out on their own. Uh, but you mentioned the Jordanian government earlier. Uh, did families actually hear anything from any Jordanian official? There was uh, the papers, uh, the Jordanian government a couple months ago uh, via the Ministry of Foreign Affairs it came uh, with the issue of the property and the deeds. And remember, people went also to Turkey, to Istanbul, because this is where the archives are. When, when they came with all the ownership, I remember when they said that it is for Hijazi family, then the court said that it was too late when they came with all these uh, papers. Just to clarify, so they were able to find some deeds or some contracts from the Ottoman Empire time under the name of Hijazi family. We're talking about the Kurd family house or where the Kurd family currently lives? We're talking about where the land is, yeah. And I do believe that uh, the government of Jordan can uh, put pressure and they can say, uh, we are the owners of this land and of this property. And the UNRWA built the houses on the top of this land and this property after. And to say that these are, and to say clearly that it's ours. And I do believe if they really want, this might be a big, big help. When I talk to the people, this is what they say, that they really wait to see that also that the Jordanian government, that they're going to be doing something, uh, reclaiming the ownership of the land, which can be a big help for the families. So let's stop a little bit at the settler organizations uh, that have been terrorizing Palestinians, as you've been describing. What can you tell us about these organizations and their objectives in Jerusalem? And how are they able to just descend on a house coming, say, from Brooklyn or I don't know where in the West and just say, this is mine? What type of political, historical or legal backing do they actually have? You can see this when uh, in uh, some of them that they're saying uh, and they're saying it clearly that we want this all Jewish. 
We want uh, Sheikh Jarrah, which is a very important strategic uh, location, will be all Jewish, to connect with the old city, to connect with uh, the Hebrew University, to connect with West Jerusalem. And for that, uh, we want to take more and more and more. Uh, I remember one of the videos that I was watching last week. He would say, yes, we want to connect all these houses with the other houses. So there is no this division of uh, East Jerusalem and West Jerusalem. They clearly say that we want uh, more Jews and we want uh, less Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And they are ready to do everything for achieving that goal. And clearly, Palestinians, say, whose families maybe literally lived in that place before 1948 or before 1967, cannot do the same. And this is an instance that we should point out where apartheid is literally practiced in Jerusalem. I wanted to also kind of point out how many of those settler organizations happen to be registered in the U.S. or have sister organizations which here in the U.S., which invites the question, how is there no oversight? I don't know if you have any more information about some of those specific settler organizations currently active in East Jerusalem and in Sheikh Jarrah. The organization in Sheikh Jarrah, it's called the Nakhalat Shimon Organization. You know, the thing, Mira, is that these are organizations that you don't know what is, where, where is the mother organization. Many of them are also Jewish American, and uh, it's like one connected to another one where sometimes this is when there is a story, actually, it's a, a lot of organizations that they believe in Judaization, uh, and they want to, in some cases, like in Silwan, uh, and in, in the old city of Jerusalem, that they are trying to take, and in some cases, to buy a Palestinian houses, because they see it as their ultimate goal of uh, more Judaization. But uh, I think you can find out more about these organizations. I'm not really the expert uh, to talk about them, but I can see in Sheikh Jarrah that the people are saying that we are suffering from them. And we know that they are doing it. uh, It's uh, very well organized organizations in the sense of uh, that they really, really, all what their goal is to bring more settlers and more Jewish organizations into that area and other places, as I mentioned, in the Mm -hmm. old city and and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I wanted us to move to talk a little bit more about the Israeli political establishment. Of course, with the rockets from Gaza and the brutal Israeli bombardment going on, the focus may shift politically and militarily in the coming days. But I'm curious, what's been the conversation like inside the Israeli political establishment about the unfolding situation in Sheikh Jarrah and in Jerusalem overall? Of course, but uh, at the beginning, there was the whole attention uh, directed in uh, Sheikh Jarrah in Jerusalem. After that, because of uh, also a number of uh, people, Palestinians who are killed in Gaza, now we're talking about more than 30 Palestinians killed. So things changed and uh, now everybody is looking towards Gaza and what's going to happen in Gaza. And actually, it was not only in Gaza. I have to say that if if you look around demonstrations taking place in um, among uh, Arabs, Palestinians in, in Israel, in different cities, towns, in Haifa, Nazareth, Sakhnin, Arabi, Tamra, uh, Led. Yesterday in Led, uh, one, one Palestinian was uh, killed as a result of a shooting from an Israeli. So, uh, and it's still going on. Today in Haifa, there was a big demonstration and it's on the third day happening. I think the, what the people are saying, uh, enough is enough. We are second heard of justice and we want at least a little bit of justice and for them participating and going out and going to the street and showing sympathy to Palestinians whether in Sheikh Jarrah or in Gaza is just to say that we are not asking for something impossible or what we are seeking is freedom independence 
self-determination. You know, when I talk to many people, I say it's like, we want a life like you. We want to live like you. Our kids want to live and to enjoy life like you. I don't think that we are subhuman. We deserve less simply because we're an Arab and Palestinians. So I think that uh, it's really time and, and prolonging and just making it impossible for the Palestinians. It's not, it's not any good. We want to live, we love life and we want to enjoy life, but a life of dignity and the life of independence and the life of self-determination and a life with nobody, that, uh, with occupation that it's not up to us what we want to do, how we want to do, but it's us to decide our, our destiny and our life and where we want to be and our kids and everything. And I really hope that this will, uh, will happen soon. But to go back to the Israeli political establishment, in the past two years, Israel had four elections. Uh, Netanyahu has yet again failed to form a government. And now his rival, Yair Lapid, is now tasked to do that. How does that political crisis in the Israeli politics play out in the escalation you're seeing in Jerusalem? Every time Netanyahu is in a crisis, we say he wants to go for a war. So as to keep his government and to be prime minister and to, to act as prime minister. And this is exactly everybody, many of the political analysts, they said that God knows where he will take us this time, simply because he was not able to form a government and what will happen with him and with his court and with his hearing. And this is exactly what we witness now. Everybody is supporting Netanyahu and his government for all what they're doing uh, in Gaza and in, in uh, Jerusalem, simply because he wants to keep himself as an acting prime minister. And this is where we say Palestinians again and again and again have to pay the price of all that Israeli policy. It's a horrible, but this is reality. If this is the only way out for Netanyahu, he will create now all these fronts uh, and wars with Gaza and um, with Palestinians in, in Jerusalem and everywhere, just to say that here I am, I'm your uh, savior and be with me, be around and support me. And I'm afraid that again and again and again, Palestinians have to pay the price. Nidal, you work with the international media. Have you had the chance to follow some of the American coverage of the events over the past few days? How do you assess the coverage? What do you feel like maybe is left out from the American media narrative? Or what's left out from the framing of the situation uh, in Sheikh Jarrah and in Jerusalem specifically? I Unfortunately, I was not really able to follow and to see and to assess what uh, happened with uh, the coverage of the American media. It's really, but I can say from previous events and what happened, uh, the most important thing that the people, I want them to understand, it's not a war of Arabs against Jews. It's justice against injustice. Palestinians are seeking for justice. Palestinians are seeking to be able to live without occupation, which make their life miserable every single day in the West Bank, in East Jerusalem, and in Gaza Strip. And you know, when I'm talking with Americans and Europeans, I believe, I said, you know, if you're, don't be pro-Palestine and pro-Palestinian, but stick to your values of uh, human rights, of democracy, of what's right and what's wrong. And this is where automatically you will stand for Palestine and for Palestinians when Palestinians are seeking life of freedom and dignity without occupation and a better future for their kids and for their families and for everybody. And this is where I believe, but I, I don't see that the coverage in America, they will see what is happening here only because of their governments and their 
State Department and their president who's watching and not really doing much. We were slightly maybe more optimistic when Biden uh, chose to be the, the coming and the active president now that he will be maybe standing with justice against this, uh, what's, what we are seeing and against all these measures. And it's important that he will say something and not uh, that uh, in the last, uh, we didn't hear anything from him. I think Palestinians can't wait forever. Palestinians waited for so long to be able to live like anybody else and to enjoy freedom and liberty. And people can't really, we can't tell people wait and wait and wait and wait. We have to come up with a solution where we say that this can't continue forever. And somebody will stood up and say, Palestinians deserve to live with no occupation and to live in liberty and freedom. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this will happen the sooner the better. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I don't see this happening mm -hmm. now and anytime soon. Finally, Ndal, uh, how do you see the situation evolving in the coming few days? And what are some of the events happening in Jerusalem and other Palestinian cities? And how can our listeners support? I have to say that everything is uh, in the hands of Israel. If Israel wants to escalate, uh, they will escalate. If Israel wants to de-escalate, uh, then it will be. It is really up to them, uh, Palestinians. I can't really think that they can do something uh, for that regard. But the most important thing that the people the Palestinian narrative to come out and people will know what's happening. And we don't want them to say after we did not know. Many things are done under their name and on their behalf and they don't know. I do believe that the people have to stand for uh, their uh, values and virtues and morals and to say this is right and this is wrong and to stand up and to say the word of truth. We know that the people who are saying the word of truth, they are paying a high price, Mira. People don't want to say the word of truth because people are afraid. They don't want to be called anti-Semitic. They don't want to deal with all these problems that they're gonna be facing maybe. And people really don't want to go through this. But uh, I think the most important thing that the, 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 the voice of Sheikh Jarrah and the voice of Palestine, the voice of Palestinians are coming out on the media, on the television, in the different social media, that the people know that this place, which knows so much agony and suffering, will live one day at least in, in a better days and in a better future and a better, and I hope that it will be in my lifetime. I think people waited for so long mm -hmm. that they're going to really see a better future, that I hope it will come soon.